0: It's great that God provides everything that we need. I don't know if you feel like you've got everything that you need today, but God provides everything we need. It's one of the things he does. It's part of his love for us and his greatness as the creator of all things. God is never kind of patting his pockets thinking, ah, yeah, I'm really sorry, I just don't have that. Don't have that thing. He's he's not the person in the meeting where someone says, this is the problem. Who's going to solve this? And there's just silence around the meeting. He's not like that. He knows it all. He gets it all. He's got it all. He's able to provide everything that we need. And this series that we're looking at here as a church is that he gives us good gifts. We're looking at that over the summer and uh, sometimes we're looking at that quite specifically in terms of a gift that God might give you in particular for the good of others. Uh, Today, we're looking at a broader perspective of gifts that God gives, gives to his church. And when God gives gifts to his church, the whole world is blessed. That's God's intention. That's always been his intention. When he chose a man named Abraham, thousands of years ago, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and bless the nations of the world through you. So Abraham getting gifts from God wasn't great news for Abraham, although it was. It was great news for the world. And that's how God always does it. People don't get blessed just so that they can be like, look at my gift, isn't this amazing? And everyone could just be like, "Well, that's very impressive and good news for you. God always blesses someone that they might bless others. And so now through the church, God is pouring out his blessings. He is announcing the great news that Jesus is alive. Uh, He is sharing his mercy. He's sharing his love. He's sharing his power. He's doing that through the church. That's how these things happen. That's how God is revealed even in these days. He blesses the church to bless the world. And so if you're here today and you are part of this church or you're visiting us from another church, you are part of God's intention for blessing the world. So I hope you're up for that. If you're here today, you're our guest. You're not a Christian. You just thought, i would come along. I've been brought along by someone else. Or just, well, I'm in Edinburgh. Why not go really wild? Not just some fringe shows, but a church. <laughs> God wants to bless you today. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to see his son in all his son's excellencies and glory and power and authority. And the means by which he's doing that this morning is this church. You may think, well, he needs to work a bit harder. Well, <laughs> he works through us. This is the thing. God works through weakness. And so actually you were thought, come on, impress me. And God says, I'm going to show you something that might not impress you, but will show you the one who is impressive. We're not showing off of ourselves here as a church. Christians are never called to tell the world about how great they are or how strong they are, but how great he is. And how strong he is. And he often does that uh, through our weakness. We're going to look today um, at a passage from uh, the Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And uh, we're actually going to be studying this whole letter in much more detail from September in our morning meetings uh, but we're getting a sneak pre- preview of it uh, this week as we look from Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. And Paul's going to describe how God is blessing his church, how he's giving his church gifts. We're going see what this uh, is all about. We said that God gives us everything we need. Here's Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, he describes so He's a prisoner. Uh, He's writing, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago, there are a few thousand Christians, it's probably fair to say, at this time, scattered around the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire has many millions of people in it. The Roman Empire is the cultural force of its day, and in many ways, of all time. The Romans saw themselves as unlike anything else. What they had done was in continuity with the past, but now look at this. They're the ones who are in charge. They are the ones who have the power. They are the ones who say what's right and what's wrong. They are the ones who set the agenda. And Paul's in prison, partly because of that. And so you think, well, what's Paul's attitude going to be about this? How's Paul going to be feeling about this? It's going to be like, well, guys, I'm in prison. I guess the chances are some of you will get in prison soon as well. Let's just hold our breath and hope for the best. Let's know what Paul says. Because Paul knows that God has everything we need and wants to give us everything we need. And so he is going to make some pretty high calls of them right now. Then he's going to explain to them some of the ways in which God is going to fulfil these things. So, Ephesians 4 verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called These are mighty topics. Uh, the scale of what you just give us a glimpse of here is staggering. And so we need you to help us see it. And we need you to help us hear it. Uh, so Lord Jesus, I, I just want to pray right now. You'd give me grace to speak and you'd give all of us grace to hear. And I pray for uh, wherever we've come from, wherever we're intending to go after this moment, that right now, you would grab hold of every person in this room, speak to them, and bless them. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff Paul asks us to do there, isn't it? I don't you remember the beginning of the passage, that's a, that's a lot of stuff. You walk in the manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. The calling they had been given was to be followers of Jesus. So to walk in a manner worthy of that is to, is to walk after Jesus, is to look like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to, to love like Jesus. That, that's quite a high call, isn't it? I would say so. He, Paul explains it, he says, all humility, and not occasional humility. Usually we're like, I was, I was humble the other day, it was pretty good work. No, no, all humility, Paul says. Gentleness, which is uh, strength under control patience, bearing with one another in love. I think sometimes we bear with one another in gritted teeth. Uh, We bear with one another knowing that this period of time is going to come to an end and then we'll be able to go somewhere else and we won't have to bear with them anymore. Paul says bear with one another in love, which is to want their best and to be for them and to ask God to do them good. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's difficult to be united. It's difficult even uh, for God's people. We see through history, uh, God's people have struggled with this. So Paul isn't asking for small things here, and his context isn't easy, and yet he's confident. Because as he goes on to say, there's one body, there's one Lord. God is working for this. And then he moves on to what we're going to focus on today. Today. Having said all these things about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who's over all in all through all, Paul said, this is one thing. God's making this happen, this big one single thing. Paul says, but grace was given to each one of us. So here's how God works in both the universal and the global, and then you. Then speaks to you, gives grace to you, gives gifts to you, wants to give you what you need usually we go to one of the of the other of those two things don't we because it's difficult for our brain to hold both quite different things either god is overall and he's massive and enormous and somewhere over there or i'm kind of everything there is and and i'm the answer and i'm my world and paul says no no god is overall and in all and through all and he's going to give gifts to you because through you remember He's going to bless everyone. And so, Paul says, grace was given to each one of us. Grace is unmerited favour. Grace is God's goodness given to you. What does God want to give you? He wants to give you his goodness. The word says. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is really good news. Because if you were going to be given a gift according to your own measure, I don't know how you'd feel about that. (laughs) Would you like a gift according to how well you've done this week? Would you like a gift according to the maximum of your possible human abilities? I don't know how you'd feel about that. Some of you might think, I would take a gift like that. That would be helpful. That would be pretty good. Some of you would be like, oh, I've got a slightly more accurate assessment of myself. I, would, I don't want a gift according to my measure. I don't want a gift according to how well I've done. But the great news is, Paul says that God gives us gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. Jesus, who is perfect. Jesus, who is faultless. Jesus, who is glorious. Jesus, who is eternal. Jesus, whom death couldn't lay a finger on. That is the one who is the measure by which we get gifted, Paul says. This is good news. He says, therefore, it says, he's quoting from Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So Paul's writing in a Roman context, although that is a Hebrew psalm. uh, Basically, what's in his mind in both of these, uh, these two things coming together is a victorious general, A general who's been out, uh, fought out on the frontier, won a great battle, conquered a new territory, and then returns home. And this would happen in Rome, it would happen in other cities, in other uh, civilizations as well. And the general would return with the spoils of war. And he would return with maybe, uh, you know, kind of mighty art that was done in that place. Uh, Even literally, they would like hack down statues and bring the statues and say, look what we brought from wherever. Uh, it's like the most extreme version of like a holiday gift you could ever imagine. It's like, I went here and I came back and I brought this to you. And the Roman, Empire, the Roman emperors would say, I went off and I brought a nation to you. And all of its wealth and all of its riches. And look at all this gold that we have because they had it and we won, so we've got it. Look at all these, these kings and these officers. They had them, but I won, so now we've got them. And Rome, the emperors would say, isn't it great that I did this for you? I've brought this for you. You will be blessed because of this, because I've brought this wealth and this power into our kingdom. We will be blessed. We will do well. The the emperors would often just also like just they bring loads of bread and uh, like uh, food and stuff like that, and just throw it out to the crowds as part of this victory celebration because it was an immediate way in which the crowd would say, this is how that battle won over there affects me. I get to eat today. That's great news. This is what Paul's got in mind when he quotes Psalm 68, that a victorious king has conquered and is coming to his people and saying, because I've conquered, it's good news for you. And I've got gifts to give to you from my victory. What's obviously different about this conquering king is the way in which he won his victory. You don't have to be a Christian to know that Jesus is famous for the most weakest thing he could have done, which is to die. The difference with Jesus, maybe you didn't realize about him, is that he chose to do that. I said earlier that death couldn't lay a finger on him. It's true. He actually gave his life himself. He gave it up. The Bible says he gave up his spirit. And in that moment of weakness, Jesus was being perfectly obedient to the Father, as Matthew was saying earlier. He was submitting to the will of God that he would be punished in the place of others. And in doing so, Jesus isn't just receiving God's punishment for our sins, which he was doing, but he was also triumphing over everything that's in this world that's opposed to God. Because by obeying perfectly Jesus wins over all disobedience. And by allowing himself to die on our behalf and then being raised to new life on the 3rd day, Jesus triumphs over death. And so he wins. We do this every Easter. We have an Easter Friday a Good Friday service where we kind of keep things low key and and and, and sober because it's a sober moment. But we're always a little bit like but Sunday because we know that this moment of great, what seemed to be great tragedy and defeat was actually the moment of victory. By his perfect obedience, by his sinless life, by his sacrificial death, Jesus won a people for himself on the earth. And he won the favour and authority of God. He'd always had it, but now he had it in a new way. This is the victory that Paul has in mind when he compares Jesus to a conquering king or a conquering emperor. Jesus has won, Paul says. And now, guys, he is going to share the spoils of his victory with us. So that's why Paul says in verse 9, He talks about ascending and descending. So Jesus descended to earth from heaven, lived perfectly amongst us, died for us, rose to new life in victory, and then ascended back to the right hand of the Father from which he is reigning and ruling right now and from where he is going to fill all things. And so now we get to the gifts. So what does this risen, victorious, conquering king Give to his people that they might follow in his way and live as he's called them to live. Well, what's written here is some things you may not know that much about. It says here, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So those gifts that Paul's just listed, those five gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds or pastors and teachers, Paul is saying that when the church gets those gifts, it grows, it matures, it becomes the fullness of God that he has always intended for. It does all of those things that we've been talking about God wanting us to do. That's how that happens. And because those are phrases and ideas that we might not be familiar with, things that we're unsure about, I'm going to spend some time explaining uh, what they are. And as I do, hopefully you'll see the connection. I see how that would help. I see how that would help. I see how we need that. Because that's one of those things I want you to feel today. I want you to feel your need of what God wants to give and what I believe God is giving to us. So, We've got these five gifts. Paul says he wants to equip the saints for works of ministry. That's you. If you're a Christian, you're a saint. And if you're a saint, God's got things for you to do. He's called you to purpose. That's why you feel that in you. That's why you want to live a life that you achieve things in. Because you are made for that. You don't do that to earn God's love, but because he loves you, God wants you to do these things. So he's going to equip you. And he wants you to be... United with others and he wants you to know his son and he wants you to mature, which is important. He wants you as an individual and us as a church and all his churches to mature. When there's things going around, when there's stuff happening, when it's complicated and crazy when the church is being told you need to believe this now, this is what we think now, this is how you need to change. God's people need to know, well, what does God say? What does God want? And what does, what does a man or a woman of God, what does a church of God do in those moments? Well, Paul says these are the gifts that will help you to do those things. So let's look at them. We're going to go through them one at a time. And we'll, we'll, we'll be heavier on the first, the first couple than we are on the other three because they're the ones that I think people are less familiar with. So Paul starts by saying uh, that God gives apostles What is an apostle? You might be aware of like the word that seems to be used occasionally for some Christians or some Christians in the church in the Bible. Well, the definition of the word apostle, what the word means, is a sent one. That's who an apostle is. That's what an apostle is. They are someone who has been commissioned and sent. And so the Bible says that there is a great apostle. Hebrews three verse one, our great apostle Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate sent one, isn't he? He wasn't. Here at all he was in heaven and from heaven the father sent him and he came and fulfilled the will of God and the purposes of God and he declared the message of God and did everything we've already said today he lived perfectly died for our sins raised to new life he was sent to do that so he's the great apostle but because Jesus plan is always to bless others he calls others to be apostles So in Mark 3, we're told that Jesus chose 12. Out of all his followers, he chose 12 of them and appointed them to be apostles, which meant that he said, guys, I'm sending you. It's time to go. So again, you see that pattern. They're they're like Jesus' 12 best friends. They must be like, this is great. We get to be with Jesus. We get to have the stories. We see him healing people around. us. It's amazing. He says, yes, it is. So go. That's always how he works. So they get sent. They proclaim the gospel, do other great things like that. But then what happens, you see, in a lot of church tradition, they'd say, well, that's kind of it. Those are the 12, that's, those are the, the, uh, are the apostles. But the New Testament calls quite a few other people apostles as well. It calls Paul an apostle, and he calls himself an apostle at the start of most of his letters, because he says, God got hold of me and called me and sent me. And so he understands himself as an apostle. One of the guys he worked with frequently, they went together. A guy called Barnabas is also described as an apostle because he does the same thing. They're both sent. And then Paul gets others involved as well, and they start doing the same kind of thing that he did. People like Silas and Timothy. There are others as well, and they get known as apostles. Now, Just to let you know, this is a fairly controversial viewpoint uh, within most of Christianity, and so it needs a little bit more explaining than I would necessarily usually do. See, in in the Catholic tradition, there is the, the idea of apostolic succession, whereby today's Pope can draw a line from himself all the way straight back to Peter, and he's the rock on whom the whole church is built. It's called apostolic succession. So if you were a Roman Catholic, you would say there is an apostle, although we call him now the Pope. And there's a whole line of those going back all the way through history. When Protestantism uh, reacted against Catholicism, it said no. No, the Pope doesn't have that same apostolic authority. He doesn't get to say what's right and wrong. He doesn't get to add things that have the same weight as Scripture. The authority of the church can't have that same weight. And so they said no apostles at all. Thank you very much. And they would say things like, because you see, apostles write the New Testament, and we don't want people doing that now, which plenty of Protestants were kind of trying to do. And so those are the two kind of traditional concerns against this view. But we're part of a family of churches that believes that the apostolic gifts are for today. And the reason is, essentially, everything that I've described to you that Paul says he wants the church to do hasn't been finished yet, has it? When I described all that to you, you didn't think, why are you telling me about that? The church has that down perfectly. We're all perfectly mature. We are all, we're never blown around by the winds of what's going on around us. We're fine. No, we need these gifts right now. We also would say that because we see many people having an apostolic ministry within the New Testament, we think it's legitimate to believe that there's still apostolic ministry happening today. No one who we would identify as an apostle gets to write parts of the New Testament. That's not their job, because not all of the original 12 wrote the New Testament, and some of the people who wrote the New Testament weren't in the original 12 either. So, uh, you're with me, I can feel that. (laughs) So what did the New Testament apostles do, and what we believe apostles should do today? They proclaimed the good news which all Christians are called to do, but there's something about apostolic ministry that proclaims the good news in a a groundbreaking way, in a way that opens up new regions and new territories or new cultures. Paul uh, is an apostle, and we see a lot of his viewpoint on this. He will say, for example, I can't go to any of the Balkans anymore because they're done. And you think, well, what do you mean by that, Paul? Paul says, I'm an apostle. We've planted some churches there there are three, five, maybe a dozen churches down in that area. So I'm kind of done there. I need to go to Spain. You think, well, 12 churches in a region is not really, the, the gospel hasn't fully reached that place yet, Paul. Paul's like, yeah, but for my part of it, it kind of has. I'm going to keep writing letters to them. I'm going to keep having people come back to them and making sure they're doing well. But I'm moving on. I'm finding new places. And so that's what he does, and that's part of apostolic ministry. It's always looking to break in, to break out, to bring the kingdom of God where it isn't yet. As it does that, it also lays foundations for the churches that have to be established there. So everywhere Paul goes, he preaches the gospel, and then what does he do? He establishes churches. He says to them, this is the doctrine, this is what God's word says, this is the truth. They appoint leaders, elders is the uh, New Testament term, and an apostle does that. Says, "Yeah, these are the guys who are going to lead this congregation on this foundation that I've started. See you later. Your job is to carry that on. My job is to go and break new ground, and then catch up with you guys later." And so that's what apostolic ministry does. And so we're part of a group that says, well, this still needs to be done. There are still huge areas where the gospel hasn't gone to. And not just geographically, but regionally. There are parts of Edinburgh where people really have no idea what the gospel is. They have no idea who Jesus is. So even here, even in the city that you would say in a country that has a Christian heritage in which there are churches, there's still places where apostolic ministry is required. And so we want to be part of a family of churches that is apostolic And so we welcome in David Holden uh, to do that for us, and we're part of uh, what's called a sphere of churches called New Ground. Apostles are received. Again, like Matthew was saying earlier, Jesus doesn't kind of hit us over the head and say, you've got to follow me now. He wins us. The same works for those who he sent. And so apostles are received. So when we were working out who who we're going to ask to be apostolic, To us as a church, who are we going to ask to uh, to spur us on into new ground, to spur us on into uh, what God's called us to do? So, who do we have a relationship with? And the answer was Dave. He was key for Matthew and Anne moving to Edinburgh to plant this church 15 years ago in the first place, and they had an ongoing relationship with him. And so we said to him, Dave, we would love to receive you as an apostle to our church. And Dave said, That's great, and. um, and that's why we are connected with him. Now, Dave is based um, in South London. And most of the churches in Newground are in the southeast of England. And there are some in France and uh, Holland and a few other places as well. They, the nearest one to us is Liverpool. And then it's Watford, which is just north of London. You think, well, how, how does this work? Well, the, re- the way it works is relationship. We, we receive Dave. We want to know him. And because we're connecting to him, we're then connecting with the other churches that also connect to him. And so Dave then comes and visits us as elders uh, like two or three times a year. And what he does when he comes is he brings apostolic ministry. So he doesn't, he doesn't say, he doesn't want to know about all the pastoral details of the church. He assumes that we're doing that as elders. What he wants to know is what's next. Where are you going next? What is God calling you to do next? What do we feel God is saying to us? Who are you raising up to achieve that? Those are the kind of things that Dave does when he comes to us. And so uh, out of these kind of conversations, one of the things he was like, he said a couple of years ago, guys, when are you going to plant a church? So this is exactly the thing. So if he was just like, are you all okay? Is everyone happy? How's the church doing? You all happy? Great. Good work. See you later. But he's not like that because God's gift for us is to grow us, and for us to grow and bless others. And so he comes to us and says, "Guys, you've got a great church. You've got loads of gifted leaders. You can't. Are we going to want to keep them here? Are you? Where are they going to go? How are we going to advance?" And so we plant a church out of the out of inspiration from that aposto- apostolic gift. And so because he's. He has blessed us. We're blessed with that gift. We're now going to go and bless others. And King's Church West Lothian starts its weekly Sunday meetings on the 10th of September. And so now our region, which again, doesn't have much in the way of the gospel going on there right now, has another church being planted. There are some, but we want to add more to them. That's what the apostolic does. What's interesting about all these gifts is that what they then do is they impart something to you. So it isn't just that Dave comes and causes, you know, stirs things up puts something in you, it imparts something so that you want to do this too. So we're then in a prayer meeting at, um, at an event um, uh, here, our, our conference, our Micon conference, and we're praying for this church plant and for God to do more things. And then Emma Mayer brings a prophecy where she says, I feel God's saying from two to three. And we, two to, well, we, so two is kings here and then our church plant, and, but two to three, and then we're discussing as elders, we think maybe Maybe now's the time actually to start a proper full-on evening meeting, not as an alternative, not, an, not as a, like an accompaniment to the morning, but as an alternative to it, so that we might reach more people in Edinburgh, people who aren't going to get up on a Sunday morning. Maybe they'll come in the evening. Let's start a full meeting in the evening. And we re- that goes with the prophetic, and it goes with the apostolic. And so we are now generating those kind of ideas that an apostle wants to see and wants to bring. And so because we've been blessed by this gift, and because we continue in with it, it grows and flows through us more and more. And so this will continue to happen. Dave will continue to come to us and say, what's new? How are we going to take things forward? We'll continue to work with him and to be part of a family of churches who are doing things across the continent. And that will stir us up and spur us on and will carry this with us. We're no longer just a church looking after ourselves. We're part of God's great plan to bless everyone. That's growing in maturity. That's growing in unity, and that is blessing the world from the blessing that God has given us. That's God giving us what we need so that we might do what he's called us to do. And so apostolic ministry does this, and so do the other four, which I'm now going to go through phenomenally quickly. Paul says there are apostles and then there are prophets. Prophets are those who bring uh, the now word of God to us. They, they bring uh, revelation of God. They often point the things out that God is wanting us to know and hear at this moment. They help us to know God's heart and to experience it and to see it for ourselves. And so as I say, we, we're launching this evening meeting here at Kings out the back of prophecy. But we're also maintaining being part of a wider family of churches, New Frontiers, because we live with prophetic words together that say things like, we can do more together than we can apart. And so these aren't things that are in the Bible, but they are things we believe God has spoken to us about. And so prophets will bring that. And again, like apostles, they shouldn't just bring some cool prophetic words. And everyone's like, wow, wasn't that amazing? We heard something from God. Let's hope they come back and visit us again. The point is that they leave something with us evangelists then do the same. They're people who who just are amazingly gifted by God at seeing people respond to the gospel. They just tell people about Jesus and people say, yes, great, I'm in. And others of us who don't have that gift think, I don't understand the difference. I I might say exactly the same thing and people would be like, thank you very much, goodbye. And they say exactly the same thing and someone says, I want to become a Christian. How does that happen? Because God gives gifts according to the measure of his grace. What evangelists also do, like the apostles, like the prophets, is they impart that gift to others. So um, we, are, uh, we, we support a guy called Adrian Holloway. And he comes sometimes to Kings and other times he's going across the country preaching the gospel and seeing hundreds of people respond he's got a gift but he doesn't just go in preach something and then leave he trains other people in how to share the gospel and as he does that gifts within them grow God gives them more ability so again we're not just resting on one person will they give us what we need to do this but God's imparting things to us that we might do them ourselves Paul then uh, talks about the shepherds. Uh, He could could have called them pastors or elders as well because he uses those three uh, phrases interchangeably. They're they're the leaders of their local churches. And hopefully as they uh, bring counsel and wisdom and encouragement, the church grows in maturity. They're the ones who are there day in, day out, who know individuals, who care, who are able to bring challenge uh, when needed. Often that's a gift of God to you. You're welcome. And... (laughs) Able to bring the wisdom of God. Able to bring the counsel and the help of God. And then there are those who teach. And again, this can be imparted. So I'm teaching you right now. Uh, I've learned from many teachers. And I continue to go to others who I think have a greater teaching ability than I do. And the stuff they teach might be interesting and I'll enjoy it. But I know that in the midst of that also, God is giving me something that I can't measure in terms of here are five new facts I learned about the letter to the Galatians. But God imparts something. And that's what he does with all of these gifts so that we might know the truth about who God is, that we might care for each other and love one another, that we might tell the gospel to the whole world and they would hear it, that we might know what God is saying to us right now and follow him and be led by him, and that we might build churches and advance the kingdom built on a glorious foundation so that they grow and continue to grow. This is God's intention for us. This is God's gift For us, all these things that God wants us to do, from you growing in personal maturity to there being churches that proclaim the gospel all over the world, God is able to give it. It's really interesting. Uh, It's the World Athletics Championships at the moment, which I enjoy watching because I like sport. And one of the funny things that happens often is they interview the athlete afterwards and the athlete says something that is absolute nonsense. What they say is, you just have to believe in yourself, and you can do anything. And you think, that's not true. If there's an interview with a shot putter, there's a guy who won. He only won the silver medal, but I remember his stats. He is two meters tall. He weighs a, a lot <laughs> from having seen him. And his wingspan, as it were, is two meters 20, which is weird. He is a world-class shot-putter. There is no way that I could ever become a world-class shot-putter. You just look at him and you think, you are built differently to me. You're designed differently to me. There's nothing I could do to make make myself like that. I understand why those athletes have to say, you can do anything you believe in, because they actually have a load of natural abilities and set up that if they think that way, it might help them. But you can't do anything you want. You can't do, you know, oh, I, do, I just need to believe in myself and I can do anything. That's rubbish. But to do what God has called you to do, which you can't do in yourself, here's the wonderful news. God will give you what you need. He will impart it to you. As we receive these gifts and all that God has for us, we'll be able to serve his purposes and share his love and build his church and bring glory to him. That's God's intention for us. Why don't we pray and ask him to work it amongst us? God, we love you so much that you, uh, you know our needs and you care about them. More than that, you know the needs of your kingdom and you care about that. And you bring these things together and give us what we need. Lord, those of us who are following you here, just say we need you. We need you. We need these gifts and everything else you've got for us too. Lord, we're not as mature as we want to be. We're not as united as we want to be. We're not as loving as we want to be, but you will give us grace. So we're asking you. We're asking you not on our own merits, but on the merits of your perfect son, Jesus, thank you for your victory. Thank you we get to share in it. Thank you for sharing the spoils of your victory with us even today. And Would you do so, Lord, over the rest of this week and in the coming months, would we serve your church well? And would you build this glorious demonstration of your greatness? And would each one of us work out how to play our part in that? To your glory. Amen.